0: Let us stand and invite the Lord before we go into his word. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we understand that unless you yourself reveal yourself to us, God, we're going to miss you. We won't see you, Lord, it's going to go completely over our heads. So we come in humility and with awe, and we beg you that you yourself would reveal yourself to us through the Spirit. Lord, we thank you, and we pray this all in your precious, precious name. Amen. As I was praying through the different Bible passages this one really jumped out at me, and I want us to read it together. So open your Bibles, please. We're not going to show it on the screen. I want us to open up our Bibles, so whether on your phones, your iPads, or your physical Bibles, your hardware Bibles. Let's open up to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out Absurd. Just think about how absurd this passage is. That there was, when the Son of God Himself, when He entered into this world, there was no place for Him. There was no place for the Son of God when He had entered into our world. And here's the thing we need to realize this wasn't random. Jesus did not get unlucky when he came into this world. Jesus did not, you know, spin a big wheel with all the families of the world listed on there and and it just happened like, ah, Mary and Joseph, they're really poor. I guess I have to be born, you know, into a stall and be laid over there. No. All of it down to the very little detail it was intentionally planned by him. He intentionally po- picked this poor, maybe low-middle-class family to be born into. He picked the city that he was going to be born into. He picked that there would be no, it, no room for them in the inn at that time, that they wouldn't be able to afford any other place. He picked the place exactly. And so nowadays, though, flash forward 2,000 years ago from the first Christmas. Nowadays, Christmas, right, I'll be honest, for me, for me personally, it's a time of comfort, right? It's, we're, we're being surrounded by the people that we love. It's, it's cozy inside. It's rainy outside, right? It's warm. It's cold there, We've got the little fireplace, we've got hot chocolate, coffee, tea, whatever it is, right, snuggling up. And I don't think any of those things are wrong in and of themselves, they're not. And I enjoy them myself. But let's face the reality that the first Christmas was anything but comfortable. It was far from cozy. I remember when, when we gave birth to our the first kid, our first kid, Tanichka, and, and the hospital provides these little cute beanies, if, if you know, if you've been there recently, these cute beanies, and for some reason they always slip off, like they, they don't, don't like to stay on the kid, right? And I remember we were holding her, and the, hat, the little beanie fell, and the nurse just ran over, grabbed it, threw it in the trash, took a new one out, and put it on her head, right? And like that is the level that, of comfort that we are used to, that we live in, Now imagine the horror of any modern day parent or medical worker to give birth to this precious little child, wrap him up, and then put him into a trough out of which animals eat. It's like putting your kid into a dirty dish from which animals eat. And yet this is exactly how the son of God himself entered into this world, into the filth, into the disorder, into the part of town where no one wanted to be. Again, I understand why Christmas today is so strongly associated with comfort. It's cold outside, it's warm inside. Family is getting together as we should Humanity is rejoicing that God has sent His Son into this world as we should. Those all things are good, and God does not condemn any of those things. But isn't it ironic that the first Christmas was anything but comfortable? And I don't think God condemns all these good things of today all the things that come together to create these strong associations of comfort with Christmas, but taking these two realities, the comforts we experience in Christmas and expect to experience, and the first Christmas and how it was nothing comfortable at all, taking these two realities together, I think it is appropriate. I think it's appropriate and fitting to talk about comfort and how it's idolized today in our world, in 21st century America, and what we can do about it. And that's what this message will be about. Comfort, the idol of comfort, and what we can do about it. And first, I want to start, if we can go to the next slide. First of all, I want to be very explicit. Comfort itself is not a sin. In fact, we see that Jesus himself, when he could picked comfort. And I, I love this passage, and I, God like put it in there specifically to show us His own humanity, to show us that He was just like us. This is Mark 4, verse 38. I'll just read it for you. But this is the scene when the disciples are in the boat, and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, and they start getting swamped right by the, by the storm, and they're about to drown. And in Mark 4, 38, the only gospel that captures this specific detail says, but he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. As I love this passage. Jesus himself was asleep on a cushion, on a pillow. Jesus was not like some, you know, like, some buddhist monk just like sleeping on the hard wood all the time like no i'm i'm god i don't that's beneath me no he was real he was a human just like me and you he himself wanted something soft something to lay on and when he had the chance he took advantage of it and he was sleeping on a pillow just like all of us would he preferred it as well It was also his natural tendency to prefer comfort. It's not a sin, church, to prefer soft over rough, warm over cold, satisfied over hungry, lack of pain over pain, quiet over noise. It's not a sin to prefer those things. But in this life, Because of the fall, because our relationship with God has been fractured because of our sin, this world is now broken, and life has oftentimes become uncomfortable. It's part of the curse. Especially if we want to bring glory to God, life will be uncomfortable. So the question is not, do I pursue comfort? No, we all do. The question is not, do you see comfort? But the question is, at what cost? At what cost do we pursue comfort? You see, Jesus, for the sake of his comfort, he could have just stayed up in heaven the entire time. If Jesus was pursuing only his comfort, which he deserved, by the way, there would be no Christmas. There would be no cross. There would be no redemption. He could have left all of us, all of humanity, to perish in our sins. He could have left his bride there just like we deserve. And yet he chose to be uncomfortable. He chose to subject himself to the discomfort of Christmas and of his entire life for our sake. Jesus faced And lived an uncomfortable life. Matthew 8:20, Matthew 8, verse 20. I'll read this for you. Jesus says, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When God, when God the Almighty, Omnipotent, All-Powerful, All-Knowing, All-Glory Deserving God, when He came to this world, when He lived here in the flesh. He did not have a home base, a fortress, a kingdom where he could dwell in quiet and peace and safety all the time, protected from the elements. No. He says that he had no stable place. He had no home. He had no place to rest his head. He had no place to come back to after an exhausting day of serving and giving. Nothing. He had no home. We all know, thankfully, that feeling of home. You know, that, that feeling of being away for, for, a, for a week, just a week, and then you come home and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm just resting, just being in my own living room. I could lay on the floor of my house and I could feel good. Jesus didn't have that. He deprived himself of that. 2 Corinthians 8 9, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Truly, he became poor. He became the child of parents who were poor, who did not have means, who did not have wealth. They did not have options. The inn is booked. We have no money. We're going in the barn. We're giving birth in the barn. We're putting our kid in a dirty dish for animals. They live difficult lives Jesus, in fact, in his time on earth, didn't even have the money to pay the basic temple tax. He told Peter, go catch a fish, take it out, there's going to be money in there, and then we're going to pay the tax that way. He didn't have a reserve of money, you know, just in case. Mark 6, 31, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Him and his disciples were so busy. They were so exhausted in serving the Lord that that they didn't even have time to eat. And it says that when Jesus says, hey, let's go away so that you can take a break, they left. And guess what happens right after that? More people came, and Jesus didn't turn them away. He started serving them as well. This is the life of the Son of God incarnate here on earth. You see, and and it's one thing, right, to never know comfort and just to always live, you know, with this standard of discomfort, and it's fine, right? Because we don't know better. For example, um, we spent Thanksgiving in Tahoe, and I'm very thankful for that opportunity and just being in God's nature and seeing the snow and the forest and everything. I just, I'm, I'm relaxing just thinking about that right now. But, you know, we thankfully, all the other people we went with, they let us stay in the master bedroom. And there's a king-size bed. And we loved it. You know, me and Vera were just laying around. And we had a room. And the kids had room. And everybody had room. And it just felt so awesome, you know. And then we come home. And we've got this little, you know, queen-size bed. And, and I'm laying there. And I'm like, how did I spend the last seven years on this creaky squeaky tiny little thing like how was that even possible right see before i did it's a great bed right but then once as soon as i experienced you know the king size bed all of a sudden my bed feels tiny and i feel like i have no room and it's loud right just imagine imagine what the son of god knew about comfort Being God himself. Imagine what he knew and what he was used to. What he knew he had deserved. And then he gave all of that up to become a man. We read in Philippians 2 verses 6 and 7, Jesus who though he was in the form of God... Verse 7, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus knew what real comfort was, what real lack of pain, what real leisure was. Jesus experienced sheer bliss and the joy of being in that perfect fellowship with the Father and the Spirit in the Holy Trinity. Jesus experienced it all for all of eternity. Being one with God. You think God doesn't experience the highest level of comfort possible in heaven? Oh, he does. He does. In fact, you could argue that just Jesus going from from being in the form of God, taking the form of a servant, becoming man, taking on flesh, is probably the most infinitely uncomfortable thing experience ever experienced him knowing what it was like becoming like us and he didn't become a king here where everyone served him and did all the things for him no he took the form of a servant christmas is the great humiliation of god God taking on human flesh, being found in the form, in human form. Church, we will never, we will never fully comprehend that great distance that Jesus had descended down to. We will never, we will never, because it was infinite. I'm sure in heaven we will see more of it, and we will praise him all the time for it, but we will never understand What it truly cost Him to save us because the price He paid for us was infinite. And so the question is, how? How? As we study the person of Jesus Christ, as we study His words and His actions, what can clue us in on on how He was able to overcome such discomfort? What allowed him to endure such circumstances? No one likes to be uncomfortable. No one likes to sacrifice. No one likes to give less than we deserve. So what was his secret? And what kept him going? And before we talk about that, I want to talk about us and our that lure of comfort that we experience. I know this is real for all of us. As people, we all seek comfort. Let's be honest. I'll be honest. I seek it. I want it. And comfort is probably one of the greatest and most subtle of idols here in America today. Probably the whole world, but for sure in America. Because we live in such prosperity, whether we realize it or not. A huge portion of our economy is dedicated and built around just making our lives a little more comfortable in every way imaginable. Our basic needs have been long met, decades and decades ago. And now it's all about more cushion, softer, easier, better, easier, faster, easier, And I'm sure we all struggle with this. We all have exhausting lives, stressful lives. Whatever the reason is, this idol of comfort, you know what it tells us? That we deserve pleasure. We deserve this distraction, this escape, that we need it in order to find happiness. And we will go at great lengths just to make ourselves a little bit more comfortable. We will spend a lot of money just to make ourselves a little bit more comfortable. And we will get very angry if someone tries to stand between us and our comfort. And sadly, the comfort that we pursue doesn't satisfy the way we think it will, right? It's like putting water into a bucket with a hole. As Christian author Christina Fox puts it, that gallon of ice cream, it only lasts so long, right? We can escape to social media, but when the baby wakes up, reality comes crashing down on us. That show that we're so into and that we're watching, it comes to an end. And we're still the same person with the same problems. The idol of comfort only provides temporary relief. So how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus do it? How did he, knowing all the comforts that we can't even imagine, give up all those delights and pleasures of heaven and choose to live a lowly, dirty, uncomfortable life? And can we do the same? can we do the same or is he just there's no point of even trying because he's just someone else how can we overcome the overwhelming lure and the pull to pursue comfort all the way how can we resist its gravity and break free from orbiting it as we study the person of jesus i can find at least two reasons of why and how Jesus was able to overcome that. I'm sure there's many more, but I hope even these two will be helpful. The first reason was Jesus was able to endure and to deprive himself because he knew who he was and that he had something far greater. If we can go to the next slide. Jesus knew who he was and what he had. In other words, his identity and his possession. Open with me, please. Open with me to John 18, 36. John 18, verse 36. This is a critical passage to this message. John 18, verse 36. This is the scene where Jesus is standing in front of Pilate, about to be crucified, and the Pilate's trying to decide whether I should give him to the Jews or I should risk freeing him. And Jesus says a very interesting phrase. He says, My kingdom, this is John 18, 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But, My kingdom is not from the world. You see, if his kingdom was of this world, Jesus would not have been placed into a trough for animals. If his kingdom was of this world, he wouldn't grow up with poor parents. If his kingdom was of this world, he wouldn't be delivered over to the Jews to be crucified. If his kingdom was of this world, everyone would be serving him, fighting for him, doing all these things instead of being rejected by his own. And yet he was poor. And yet he was rejected. And yet he was cast aside. And yet he was crucified. And how was he able to do that knowingly? It's because he knew in his heart of hearts that he was actually a king who had a kingdom. He knew that. He knew he had a kingdom. Not here, but there. You see, guys, Christmas, I want I to detail that. I want us to make sure we don't miss. Yes, Jesus became poor when he entered into this world but christmas is not about god becoming permanently poor he did not become permanently poor jesus is not jesus, christmas is not jesus giving up his kingdom forever no that's not what it is that's not what the incarnation is no christmas is god giving up temporarily his kingdom his riches for a tiny amount of time And he knew, despite being born in a barn, he knew, despite his parents not being able to afford a room in the inn or some other place, he knew that he was actually the king of kings and lord of lords to whom all will bow. All of history will bow the knee before him, and he knows that, and he knew that in that moment. He knew that the whole world and all other worlds, and all created things, that they all belong to him. He knew all of that. And in a way, the richest person alive today in this whole world can understand what it was like for Jesus, right? If you think about Elon Musk, right? He's in the news like every week right now. He's worth $200 billion. And you're like, I don't know, that sounds like a lot, right? $200 billion. Just to put that into perspective, that's enough money for the average American household to live and spend for 4.2 million years. 4.2 million years. That's how much the average American household will spend those $200 billion if you don't invest them. And yet, technically, Elon Musk is homeless. I don't know if you knew that or not. Like, he actually says that. He's homeless. He sold all his homes. He has no home. He has no real estate. He just goes from his friend's house, from one friend's house to another friend's house, and crashes, you know, in their little spare bedrooms. That's how he lives. He goes to Beria. He has friends there. He goes to Texas. He has friends there. That's just how he lives. And it doesn't bother him. When, when I was watching that interview, he didn't say, well, I'm homeless. And he didn't, he didn't look down. He was kind of proud of it, actually. Why? Because he knows who he really is. And he knows what he actually has. And believe me. Jesus is far wealthier, wealthier than Elon Musk. Elon Musk is like a homeless beggar standing with just a few quarters in his cup compared to the wealth and the trillions that Jesus Christ possesses. And you know what's wild? You know what's wild? That in Christ, we, with Christ, are the heirs of all things. To us, in Christ, belongs the entire world, not just some 200 billion dollars. 1 Corinthians 3.21 says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Romans 8, 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Church, here's the question for all of us right now sitting in this room. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are an heir of God himself? Do you believe that in your heart? Or do you just think, well, that's some good theoretical knowledge. I wish I could feel it right now. Do you believe that you are an heir of God himself? Rightful, legal heir of God. Not Elon Musk, which would be amazing from the world's perspective, right? Amazing, you're set, you're good. But God himself. And unless Elon Musk repents, we who believe in Christ, we are infinitely wealthier than him. And it's only a matter of 60 years, 60 short years, until this will be plain for all of eternity. The question is, do you believe that in your heart of hearts? Or are you just sitting here just trying to grab onto whatever you can in this life, not believing the riches and the treasures that God has prepared for all of those who are His And if we are the heirs of all that God owns, and if we will receive all that he owns, that is the universe, then who cares what place I live in for the next 60 years? Who cares? I'm going to spend 60 trillion years in a mansion that's so good I can't even imagine it right now. Who cares if I don't buy my kids the best stuff? Even baby Jesus had a lame, poor, dirty crib. Who cares if I don't eat the best and the most organic food possible or wear the best clothing? The king of the universe would not have been able to afford eating only organic if he came in this day and age. Do you realize that? He wouldn't. I'm not saying organic is bad. It's just an example. My challenge to all of us, including myself, is to ask myself, at what cost am I pursuing comfort? Have I forgotten my identity? Have I forgotten my possession in Christ? Am I just living as if this world is all I have? That's faithlessness. That's faithlessness. And God condemns that. Jesus said in John 14, 23, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You think the place that Jesus is preparing has promised to prepare for all of us, you think it's not going to be comfortable? You don't think it's going to be awesome beyond your wildest dreams? That's an insult to him. Comfort, if you look at the definition, is a state of physical ease and freedom from pain or constraint. And if Jesus is the one who created and designed the human body and the human experience, and he promises that there will no longer be any pain or tears in heaven, then you can bet your last dollar that the comfort that we will experience in heaven for all of eternity will literally be perfect. He is going to prepare a place for us. That's our possession, the best place. That's the first, that's the first reason. The second one I see in Scripture is, again, remember, Christmas was not a cozy scene, Right? Of, of God coming to the earth for a vacation. That's, that's, not, like, that's what it's turned into for us. But if you read it in the context and you read what it says, it wasn't a cozy scene. Christmas is literally the opening scene of a movie where you see Navy SEALs get out of freezing water and crawling through mud. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is the first scene of the mission of God to save humanity from the wrath of God. Christ's whole time on earth is a mission. It was not a vacation. Jesus enters into this world humbly in the dirt with no room, crowded, gets put into a feeding trough with poor parents, grows up poor, He was able to forego comfort because he knew what he had to do. And that's his, he knew his purpose and his mission. Those are the same thing. He knew his purpose and his mission. He knew what he had to do. And if we learn, like Jesus, to see our time here on earth as a mission, as a mission, we will be able to escape that lure of comfort. That siren call of comfort that calls us every day. Open your Bibles, please, to John 4:34, John 4:34. I'll give you the context while you're opening it. John 4:34. This is the scene where Jesus and his disciples have been traveling for a long time, and they stop by a city of Samaria, and they're, they're exhausted, they're hungry. And so his disciples go into the city to go grab food. John 4.34, they go to grab food. And he's sitting at the well, and he begins to talk to the Samaritan woman and starts to ask her for water. And they have this dialogue, and she realizes he's the Messiah. She runs back into the city, and his disciples come with food after a long journey. And they're like, hey, eat some food. And then he says this very odd phrase. You know, I can't even imagine being around Jesus in the flesh. Like, you, you're always getting thrown off by what he's saying. Jesus said to them, John 4, 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to accomplish his work. What Jesus essentially is essentially saying is, the thing that gives me energy, the thing that keeps me going is to accomplish the mission that the father has given to me that's what gives me energy that's what keeps me going and if you look at the different studies that just even unbelievers have done you'll realize and you'll see and we all get this intuitively right that we that having a purpose having you know meaning in life it protects us from depression and even suicide and you think like Yeah, did we really need a study to discover that? I mean, that's so obvious, right? We all, people, we need purpose. We need a reason to live meaning for our life. And Jesus knew what his purpose was, what his mission was, and that gave him energy. And he called it food to keep him going. Again, keep in mind the immediate context of this passage. It's wild. It says, John 4, 6, Jesus wearied as he was from his journey. So he was physically exhausted. He was hungry because they went to go buy food. And he was thirsty because he was asking the woman to give him water. And by the context, it doesn't look like she actually gave him any water. So he's exhausted, he's hungry, he's thirsty. I mean, I don't know if you've been all three of those things and you're just sitting there like... No one come near me, please. No one come near me because I don't want to sin any more than I already have. And Jesus is sitting there in this state of complete physical depletion. And they start offering him food and he says that he has something even better than physical food to keep him going. That is to accomplish God's will for him. Church, brothers, sisters, when each of us strive to live for the glory of the only God, when we strive to do His will, to accomplish His work that He has given to each and every single one of us, when we strive, when we lean into that, when the purpose of my life is to please God instead of myself. And yes, it's going to look different for all of us. But if we wake up in the morning and get on our knees and plead with God, God, use me today. Glorify yourself today. I don't care how, just whatever it is, please yourself, not me. Help me please you, not myself. If we pray like that, he will give us that purpose. And comfort will lose its grip over our souls. But if our purpose is just to please me, and that's my first thought coming out in the morning, and that's my only thought all day long, then we will never break free from those chains. Only when we focus on God's mission for me, not my neighbor's mission from God, but my mission, then we will have food like Jesus, which is even better than physical food. And church, God has a purpose for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. If we have believed in him, we are his children. We're his kids. You don't think he has a thoughtful purpose for all, every single one of us to bring him glory. You don't think so? No, it's not about us. It's about him but it looks different for all of us because we're all a different part of his body. And don't worry about doing some great works for God. Just be faithful today. That's it. That's all he's asking for. Be faithful in the little right? That's what the word of God says. Be faithful with what he's going to give you today. Maybe it's someone that's going to come to you and they're talking to you and you don't want to listen to them. And you're just like, I need to go. All right. I'm, they're so boring. They're so annoying. And maybe that's God's purpose for you today is just to listen to this person because they're having a horrible day. And God wants to use you to help them, to serve them. You know, I notice it with myself all the time. There's times when in life it's so clear what God wants me to do, right? How God wants me to serve, how he wants me to to accomplish his work. And I I could be lacking sleep. I could have two hours of sleep. I could not have eaten for 24 hours. But because of my focus on eternity at that moment, I'm going. I'm going. There's nothing. None of these things are going to stop me. Nothing's going to slow me down. But then there's times when I have gotten all the sleep that I could possibly imagine, all the sleep I could possibly need. I could have all the food and all the caffeine that I could possibly need. And yet, I can't see past my own ceiling. I don't see eternity. I don't see God. I just see me myself in this room. And I feel like a rock that can't move from the same spot he's been sitting in this entire time. I can't muster up the strength to do even one meaningful little thing for God. Why? It's because I've lost sight of eternity. I've lost sight of my mission, of my purpose, of God's will. It's just about me and my comfort. What else can I get for myself? I have more than I need. And we see the same principle was at work in Paul. Acts 20 verse 24, Paul says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. Because he had that mission, he had that ministry, he's saying, I could give up everything. I don't count it as precious, my comfort, even my life. I'm ready to lay it all down just to finish God's work. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 4, last passage. 2 Timothy verses 2, verses 3 through 4. Paul writing to Timothy says, Share in suffering. In other words, be in great discomfort as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim or his goal is to please the one who enlisted him. I love this contrast. You see, civilians, right? Our life, it's all about pleasing ourselves. That's what civilians do when you compare them to soldiers. But soldiers, their goal is not to please themselves, but to please the one who enlisted him. And therefore, they are able to suffer, to put themselves through suffering, and they're able to suffer well. Because it's not about them and their their purposes and them pleasing themselves, but it's about pleasing the one, the great commander who has enlisted them. Both Jesus and Paul, they knew what their missions were. They knew what their purposes were, and because of that, they were able to endure suffering and comfort had no grip on them. Church, comfort is a very real idol. And Satan uses it to bind people and to make, his, and to make God's people weak, not useful for his kingdom. It's Satan's tool. It in itself is not a bad thing, but at what cost are we pursuing it? There's two ways we can overcome. We can endure that pull of comfort by remembering that we have something so much greater coming to us. We are sons and daughters of the great King. Who cares if we're poor here on earth like Jesus is? In fact, that's something to boast in. That's something, right? James says, let the poor man boast in his exaltation. We are heirs of the entire universe. It all belongs to us. Who cares if we don't receive all the comforts of this world? They will all vanish as a vapor anyway. And two, we can resist the lure of comfort by remembering our mission, our purpose, by seeking it from God and living for it. Our food becomes to do the will of God. That's what gives us energy and strength. Remembering that we are soldiers who are enlisted by the great commander. And one day this battle will be over. And one day we will retire. We won't be soldiers always, only here on earth. In closing, there's some of you sitting here and thinking, Peter, I don't care. I don't want to give up my comfort. I like it. I don't want to suffer. I like good things. I like soft things. And I don't want what you're offering. And my only warning to you would be 1 John 2.17. The world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God remains forever. The comfort you so desperately hold on to is passing away. And the only way that you can escape the coming wrath of God, like we will celebrate today during communion, is by trusting in Christ. Because when you trust in him, his sacrifice on the cross, his blood will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will forgive you. And that burden and that weight of sin that you carry around will be gone. If you trust in Him, believe in Him, cry out to Him, and He will save you. And He will give you eternal life and you will do the will of God. And you will remain forever. Amen? Let's stand and let's pray, church. Lord Jesus, We worship you. You are the son of God, God in the flesh. We thank you for sacrificing everything, for laying it all down for us, Lord, and we'll never understand, and you know that. We'll never fully understand, Lord, what you have done for us. But we thank you, we worship you, we exalt in you, Lord. And we pray, we pray, Lord, that looking to you, we would imitate you. Like Paul imitated you, Lord, help us, help us, help us remember who we really are. Our possessions, our purpose, our mission, help us, Lord. And if we ever lose sight, help us come back to live for you to serve you, to make much of you. And to you may be the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.